Hello ladies and gentlemen, Lucas James Holmes and David Redden here with our weekly podcast on the AFL and we're going to throw in some first class cricket as well here today um, as we're going to be doing first class cricket throughout the season. Without any further ado, good morning Lucas Holmes, how are you sir? I'm good, thanks, David. How are you? And what an end to the AFL season it was, David. It was to and, uh, to and fro for the first three quarters, but the Melbourne well and truly put their foot down and achieved their first premiership in 57 years. Lucas, for two and a half quarters, it was one of the best grand finals I think we've ever seen, and then all of a sudden, everything came into alignment. For some reason, Christian Petrarca had bad deodorant on and no one got near him, and the Bulldogs, I think, were suffering from all of their travel and perhaps a few injuries, but... Melbourne put the foot down, and to score 93 points to seven in a grand final in, in a, as a snapshot's ridiculous. And Melbourne belted the Bulldogs, 21-14, 140 to 10, 66. But that's not the story of the game for mine. That's the end of the game. As I, as you said, for the first few quarters, it was thrilling football. Adam Trelaw played his best game of football, I think, in years. Marcus Bontempelli was outstanding. Caleb Daniel couldn't get his hands off the football in the first half, but just Melbourne seemed to flick a switch, Lucas, and it was one-way traffic at a chock-a-block off the stadium, and the West Australians did a great job with the grand final. They sure did, David. It was that, it was that midway point through, through the third quarter, wasn't it? Petrarca yep. and Oliver went bang, bang, bang. I think it was three consecutive goals from the centre from clearances, so they, that's how they got on the roll, and they didn't look back, did they? That was superb. Luke Jackson, the rising star for this season, really played a really played a role. It was sort of Gorn that took the back seat, wasn't it? Jackson was superb um, and they had, they had great contributors around the ground. Let's not forget Stephen May either, David. Um, we spoke about last week, didn't we think he was fully fit there? And we said no, and it definitely wasn't. And he came out after the game, he was um, playing with a, what they would term a seven-weaker in terms of a hamstring. So that's what players go through to play in the grand final. First final in, in a grand final for him, his first final series of career playing the majority of his career to date with, with the Gold Coast. So that shows what players go through to play on the biggest stage. That's right. Um, interestingly, Lucas Holmes' pick for the Norm Smith medal, Christian Salem, actually finished in the votes. I've got the AFL match stats up in here, and the match points were Christian Petrarca 139, Clayton Oliver 138, and in third place, Christian Salem with 133. Um, Bodger got into 100, that's no surprise. Caleb Daniel did as well, and I'm sure that Adam Chalor was high up. He got 93. But just, just to show that Louis was right on the money there, Satan was terrific. He had 22-5 and five off the halfback flank. But all the talk was about the dominant display, and it was a dominant display by Christian Petrarca. He was superb. Just a little anecdote for Petrarca. Jimmy, our great mate, Jimmy Newburn, picked up a lovely little multi, um, tipping Petrarca as first goal kicker and Norm Smith, and it paid handsomely for him. So um, great tipping by our mate Jimmy there, but... It was a superb game of football for two and a half quarters. It was so thrilling. It really was. Bontepelli was brilliant. Trelaw was great. Gordon was solid. Um, Bailey Fritch, we've got to talk about him. And I, I, I'd like to just talk a bit about Fritch if I can. Just, for those of you that don't know Lucas, Bailey Fritch and Lucas Holmes are about the same size in height and the same body shape. And what I'm saying is they're, they're both r- relatively tall and quite lean. Bailey Fritch is not a big man. And I hope you don't mind the comparison with your uh, with your physical size and stature, Lucas. But Fritch is yeah. very... The only thing different between you and he is that he's left-sided and you're right-sided. But yes. if, you've, if you've ever met Louis, Fritch is about that side. He's not what you would call the size of a dominant AFL strike forward. Is that a fair statement, Lucas? Yeah, um, I'm just over six foot. Fritch would be fairly similar, as you said. I mean, he was just really good, wasn't he? The, 
that's the, that's the goal of key forwards too. You look, you look at Jackson, you look at Ben Brown. Brett Brown kicked a couple, but what they say with key forwards, if you don't, if you can't mark the ball, bring it to ground, and that's exactly what they did. And Fridge was the beneficiary there. Six goals in the grand final. Um, he was superb, wasn't he? Um, as I said, there Brown and Jackson did a commendable job, and they got some goals out of the midfield too. Petrarca kicked a couple. And a few other contributors from around the ground. And Fritz is six. We haven't seen a big bag like that in the grand final for a while. No, I've just drilled down to Bailey Fritch's bio. He's six. He's 188 centimetres and 81 kilograms. So he really is quite similar in stature to your good self. And um, he was superb. He's, he's a great kick. And, you know, he's been a really uh, immensely important for them. I think the recruitment of Ben Brown, he doesn't, what he does is he gives them a focus point. Everybody feeds off him, and I think that that's been a very wise move. And Brown goes from playing for North Melbourne to winning a grand final 12 months later. Angus Brayshaw was also very good, I thought. Lucas for Melbourne, just did his typical solid performance. Um, overall, I thought Liberatore was pretty good. He had 23 touches, but no, most of the focus is quite right on Petrarca. He played like the bull that he is. And um, given that he signed a long-term contract, you can I can clearly see Melbourne making the top four again next year. I don't think they're going to lose too many. Nathan Jones is retired, but he didn't play in the grand final. And the Dogs will go and look at a lot of their forwards who didn't really strike on the day. They they probably need another... If you if they went back and had a drink and a good look at themselves, they probably need one more strike forward, Lucas. A couple of the guys that um, didn't that didn't perform in the grand final, and, and Shacky would be one that they want to get get right because he's got the potential. But overall, a, a terrific performance, and no question, Christian Petrarca was the best player on the ground. When Melbourne got going, Lucas, they were fantastic to watch. Highly skillful um, at the top of their game, and I never thought I'd say this about a Melbourne side, but goodness gracious me, they were convincing. They were, David. Just just. To- go back just a little bit, you spoke about the Bulldogs forward line there yes they've got some strike forwards but a few are out injured too, you remember Josh Bruce went down late yes. in the season with that ACL injury so he'd be one yep. in terms of key forwards, he was actually good um, he, he started off the bench and the, the commentators and the we're talking about it at the time and what they were what they were talking about Shaki doing is what he exactly did, he went to Jake Lever, wanted to make Lever accountable around the ground which he was which he was in a short term. But yep, that's fair. When, Mel- when Melbourne got on a roll, um, Lever was just about just able to float across and give them all that drive and run off half-back as he so often does. Oh, look, that, that's fair. I, it, it, Shaky certainly made Lever accountable. There's no question about that. Um, you've, uh, you've spoken before about the way Lever likes to play, and I thought that the Bulldogs challenged him for two and a half quarters. Um, Caleb Daniel, 37 touches across that half-back. Who would have thought that a player that's... What he'd be lucky to be 170 centimeters. It'd be so so deadly. Um, you know he's playing good football. Bontempelli played like the absolute blue chipper he is. I thought he was excellent. Um, kick goals as well. But no, overall a superb performance from Melbourne. An absolutely superb performance. They hardly had any losers on the ground, and they thoroughly deserved to be the premiers of the AFL. And again, for me to sit there and say that Melbourne did that, uh, having watched Melbourne over many many years. Um, you weren't born when uh, Melbourne played in the 87 grand final and Carlton chopped them to pieces. And they've had other opportunities there, particularly when Neil Danaher was in charge. But they've come through and it was great. There was a photo of Neil Danaher sitting next to a large screen television with um, right next to the guys around, around the day. So I thought that was lovely. Um, I'm not sure, not sure. You know, as long as Neil Danaher is with us, um, I just hope that we can continue to support him. You know, he's not a well man. But great to see them do so well. And it was an outstanding game. 
Um, and again, there would actually be a case, Lucas, for playing preliminary finals in Perth. They did such a good job that if someone said to me, we want to play preliminary finals, one preliminary final at the MCG and then rotate the other between the Adelaide Oval and and Optus Stadium, I don't think there's an argument. I think that would be a fair argument. I'm, I'd like to know your opinions on that. I mean, that doesn't mean that the Sydney or Queensland sides could ever play a home prelim. But Gito did a good job, Louie, over there. Well, they do. It's a football state all in all. Yes, they have their two teams, but it, it's a football state through and through. And you saw that with not, with two non-Western Australian teams to get a to get a full house in a grand final, and, and in that and that stadium and with those facilities, it was great to see. They did a good job, um, as they have done the last. As, as we've spoken about in the past, they've done it tough over in Western Australian Perth. There's not a great deal of football over the last. Uh, 12 months or so, but they well and truly deserve to be in the uh, in a conversation about if they were to do some rotations with preliminary. I don't think they'll be doing it with grand finals in the short in the in the short term, but there's there's, there's been some talk about that as well in the future. But they deserve it, that's for sure. Yeah, the Melbourne Cricket Club has been pretty wise in getting a 50 year deal. Yes. at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, and you've got a, the Melbourne Cricket Club aren't stupid, um, but. Given what we've seen and the ability of places like we've had a grand final at the Gabba, and I never thought I'd say those words. We've had a grand final at this, this magnificent Optus Stadium, and it is nothing short of it. It's a great football ground. Um, look, you know, I, I would love to see someone throw that up as, as having rotating prelims, regardless of who's in there. But we'll have have to wait and see. Lucas, some club best and fairest play uh, decided recently. Please go through those for us. They have just in the last few, uh, just through the week, David. Uh, Geelong best and fairest, Tom Stewart. I don't think there's any surprises there. Um, no. Nope. For your GWS Giants, Josh Kelly winning the Kevin Sheedy medal. No surprise there yeah, either. Mid, 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 midway through the week, uh, Brent Raining, uh, the new Brownlow medalist, Ollie Wines, winning Port Adelaide's best and fairest. And last night, David, EW Copeland Trophy, Collingwood Football Club best and fairest. Taylor Adams. Won for the first time by Jack Crisp. Crisp won the Copeland Trophy. Lucas, I think that that's deserved. He's been terrific for Collingwood. Yeah, hasn't missed a game, David, in all those years that when he when he came down to the club from Brisbane, he, he, was, he was known then as the steak knives of that Dame Beams trade, but now he's been superb, hasn't, hasn't missed a game. Um, with their injuries in the, in the midfield this season, David, he, he transferred from the back line going through the midfield. So it was Chris. Uh, Chris won the medal, David. The trophy, rather, to Braden Maynard in second, Jordan Degoe third, uh, Scott Pendlebury fourth, and still side bottom in fifth place. So, Colin looks best and fairest last night as well. Yeah, when when you get the name Euro Copeland Trophy winner, that actually means a lot within the Collingwood Nation, yeah. doesn't it? It, it, it? To be yeah. honest with you, uh, above all the clubs in the league, if you're a Copeland Trophy winner, I think that that actually stands for something and that can never take it off you. Um, Louis, uh, some, uh, I'm reading articles here, some interesting moves already with trying to get people moving around clubs. Um, yes. There's a, the, the goal. One of the things that I find fascinating here is that there's an article, the Gold Coast are trying to get um, uh, uh, move some players around. One of the things that I find extraordinary is this, is that Gold Coast has got salary cap pressure. And what I hadn't realised is that, they, is that they've had to pay overs um, for a lot of their players to keep them up there. Lucas, you remember the famous uh, kerfuffle about Sydney's cost of living allowance enabling them to get yes. tip to the club. I, yep. I, I think that there is a case to, that for the Gold Coast to have a certain extra percentage in their salary cap. 
given that they continually don't make finals and that it's such it's a bit of a transit lounge for people they get drafted there and then move on. Your thoughts on that matter? Yeah, I wasn't aware of the salary cap pressure, excuse me, up up the Gold Coast purely because I wouldn't have, honestly, wouldn't have even crossed my mind because the majority of the players I have there are recent draftees, they're younger players, some of the more experienced players there uh, in the twilight of their career, so they usually move from other clubs. And some of their better players are those younger players that are still in their rookie deals, so so they wouldn't be being as paid as much yet. But if it were to be that way for a long period of time, David, where we're struggling with results and constant salary cap pressures. If it's a one-off, you're obviously not going to do something uh, like the Cole they did with, they did with the Sydney with the Sydney Slongs that you mentioned there. But if it was over a sustained period of time, it would definitely have to be something that, that would have to be looked at in order to keep um, the league as fair and as close as it can be. No one likes to see a club like the Gold Coast at the bottom constantly David we want a competitive league yes. we want a strong league and uh, weak, weak clubs that don't make finals regularly isn't good for anybody no and the NFL is the best example of, of a competitive yeah. league in the world yeah. um, the, just to quote the article a move for Darcy McPherson to Arden Street would also alleviate pressures on the Suns salary cap given they've been forced into paying above market rate for re-signing young players in recent years and again I, that I'm fascinated with that I, I find that quite extraordinary um West Coast are interested in Jordan Sweet, uh, Boston Bulldogs Ruckman with uh, Nick yep. Natton. It's astonishing to think that Nick Natton is 30, 31. Um, you would think that the Bulldogs would be reluctant because Stefan Martin is uh, getting not any younger, didn't play that many games, and they got exposed in the Ruck as we thought they would, although it wasn't as much of a massacre in the Ruck in the grand finals as I thought. They actually got massacred at, at grand level, um, the, um, the Bulldogs, particularly by Petrucca and Oliver. Um Look, there's a few moves on and people moving around. Um, Eagles are quite active, which they need to do, uh, need to be. Um, but they're interested to see what if Gold Coast can can get that trade. Darcy McPherson's the son of former Footscray legend Steve McPherson, and he's um, he's done quite well on their best and fairest up there, and, and he's a very good footballer. Be fascinating to see if he ends up moving. North Melbourne, of course, have got a lot of money to play with, and they need to. I thought North Melbourne towards the end of the year. Um, showed some real ticker, and I thought they became a reasonably average football side. So I'd be very interested to see where, where this all goes because the, as Lucas and I will come back during the off-season because there's trade periods and there's also a draft coming as well. So, Louis, if you're available, we'll go and talk about those whenever we can. Yeah, trade period just started uh, yesterday, David, and just quickly on North Melbourne too, that came out late. Uh, Jai Simpkin won their best and fairest too. So another young midfielder would... With Cunnington missing a fair few games, it was Sinkham was was uh, shooing for that medal. But yeah, speaking of North Melbourne, they've got a lot of uh, work to do. We've, they've been spoken in the Josh Kelly sweepstakes the last few years. Now, obviously, he's just signed a you know, just in the last few months signed a long term extension to stay at the Giants. But just some early moves, David, with the um, with the trade period beginning yesterday. Uh, Neighbour Chull will officially be a Gold Coast son, David. Yep. Um, Son of uh, Collingwood Premiership player Craig Kelly, Jake, going from Adelaide to Essendon. Yep. And, and just some interesting um, nominations, David. Uh, Adam Chera has officially nominated Carlton. Yes, that, that, that's been, that's been rumoured for about 10 to 12 days, that one. Yes, and uh, Patrick Lipinski's uh, Western Bulldogs young midfielder is nominated for Collingwood Football Club as well. Interesting times. Louis and I will be back, as I said, once things really get active, we'll have a look. Uh, um, who's going where. Um, 
Look, it, it's going to be very, very interesting to, to see. Interesting to see Mason Cox has been linked with the Lions as well, Lucas. Um, that be interesting to see there because he's never. I'm not sure if he'll play with Collingwood again, to be quite honest. But we'll have to. It, it'll be very, very interesting to see who ends up where. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. Um, David actually had Graham Wright um, football operations. Yes. Of Collingwood, obviously, of Hawthorne fame as well. Actually, played in Collingwood's 1990 Premiership as well. He did. Had him on the on the trade radio a few days ago, um, speaking particularly about Cox and also Braden Sire. Sire had that breakout 2018 season when Trelaw went down with that double hamstring against Carlton. Yep. Um, midway through the season, so they were. He was quite particular in saying that Cox, they were still waiting to see what they were doing with Cox and Sire, which would mean to me that they're not going to be re-signed. Um, so that they may be on the move there. Cox is back at, at home in the US at the moment, but the way that Wright was saying is being quite cautious. But people—it's interesting. People in, that, in those sort of positions don't try and don't give much way in terms of what they plan to do. But with the way that Wright was uh, speaking, being particularly cautious, that would that would say to me that it doesn't look like Cox and Sire won't be uh, will not be a part of Collingwood's future plans. Interesting times. I can assure you that one of the last places in America that I'd want to be at the moment is in Texas, where he's, which is where he's from. They've got so many issues with coronavirus at the moment, in particular in the southern half of America, but it is what it is. And um, like me, I'm sure he's enjoying watching the college football at the moment, Louis, as I'm, I'm uh, sure a lot of Australians are really getting into their college footy at the moment. Yes. Yeah, me, me. I love it. I love the college footy yep. and, and particularly in the NFL as well, which I know that you do as well. Louis, we're going to start with just a brief discussion now. Thank you. First of all, um, and finally on football, thank you so much for your uh, wonderful input this year. I could sit there and listen to you talk football for hours, um, which, I, which we actually just, do. Could I just add one more thing quickly? Please, yes. Sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, they've just locked, the AFL have just locked in. David, if you remember, well, you obviously remember. Some people may not remember too. With the Toby Green incident, they, um, the AFL look, were looking at appealing the three-game suspension that was handed out after he made contact with um, uh, umpire Matt Stevich. Yes. Um, and so the the AFL have said that Green's hearing has been set for the seventh seventh of October. Um, so that he, the hearing for his three-match suspension, which the AFL are looking at uh, making larger, the hearing will be heard. The hearing will be the 7th of October. Ah, okay. That matters sub judice and with, uh, with us being involved with football as we are, I think the best thing to do is to observe and watch and not make any comment. Um, I, will, I will, I will, I you will. Now, while you've got to be careful, people, some people do yep. listen to what we say. Um, I'll be very interested to see where that goes. I, I, one thing I will say is I think the AFL, if you, this is a consistent message from the AFL. And regardless of the result, they need to be seen to be doing the right thing to protect umpires. And with both of you being community umpires, um, I can see where they're coming from. So that's all I will say. We'll just wait. If there's any comments to be made, we'll wait, make them after the final decision. I think that's the fairest thing to do. The only thing we can do with the uh, evolving situation is the information uh, becomes known to us as well. So that would be the most common sense thing to do. And again, thank you so much for your input on football this year. As I said, I love listening to you talk football and your, your knowledge of plays and so forth is far superior than mine. So thank you so much for the uh, our, uh, once again for this year, my friend. Not a problem, David. Exciting things to come in the next in the next little little while, which we'll uh, let you know about soon. But yeah, I can't wait for the next uh, little while in terms of community and the AFL itself. 
yes, I'll let you make those announcements when you're ready, my friend. Um, looking yep. for, look, all I will say is I'm looking forward very much to next season. And hopefully, Lucas, for the first time in three years, having a full season. So that will yes. be great. And, of course, looking forward very much to watching some AFLW um, coming up shortly. Uh, a lot of players that I've caught in Sydney have made the draft um, and made the Giants list. So looking forward very much to watching some AFLW. Lucas, there's um, extraordinarily a uh, first-class cricket game between Queensland and Tasmania was called off with half an hour to go before the first ball to be bowled earlier this week at Ian Hilly Oval due to a COVID outbreak in Brisbane. So that game's been played on the 7th of October. The one game that was played was played on an absolutely docile belter at Karen Rog, Rolton Oval in Adelaide. It was played between Western Australia and South Australia. So the scores. Western Australia, 9 for 465 declared and 6 for 292. South Australia, 492 all out. So well over 1,000 runs scored for 15, 25 wickets. And I watched a lot of this game, Lucas, because we're, uh, that, that's going to be our job to look at cricket. And it was one of the... It was almost an unfair deck. It was so difficult to bowl on, and those scores indicate that. Um, better scorers for the match. How unusual to see Sean Marsh and Cameron Green make centuries. <laughs> uh, uh, most unusual, South Australia. And again, for them, Jake Carter on debut for South Australia, moving over from WA, 118. Travis Head, again, not unusual, 163 for him. Nathan McAndrew on debut, 3 for 71, bowling for South Australia. He's moved across from Sydney and then made 65 not out. So he's had an excellent debut. And then this... Second innings, uh, Western Australia finished at six of 292 for six when the stumps were pulled. Former Australian test player Hilton Cartwright, a very handy 121 of 186. What do you gather out of this one? Certainly um, good to see Cameron Green. Good. The biggest test for Cameron Green, uh, Lucas, will be when he plays on pitches in the subcontinent elsewhere because he is utterly dominant on Australian decks. Yeah, and going to be consistency. Obviously still a young man, Cameron Green, had that breakout season last year. Um Saw him earn a baggy green, but I think it's just going to be consistency. The first few years for him, he's a he's a bit tall lad. Um, obviously, bowls some decent pace as well. Um, and all rounder, they're really just looking for that next. Um, they really haven't locked down that all rounder role, especially in the long form game for me. Um, since Shane Watson, um, Ma- uh, Mitch Marsh has done considerably well in the uh, in the, in the, in the coloured clothing in short form cricket. He's had the odd um, odd high school. Scoring the in the long form game, obviously that Ashes century a couple of years ago now, alongside his brother Sean. But um, they're really still looking to lock down that uh, all rounder role. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. You said there when he comes to the subcontinent, obviously the pitches here in Australia, David Arnold, is, is conducive to spin, as we see in the subcontinent. And we don't really have the Nathan Lyons a very good spinner, but sort of that sort of the depth in the spinning roles isn't as high as it is. Uh, in other countries around the world, you look at India there, you've got Ravi Ashwin, you've got Ravi Jager as well. So um, some high-quality spinners around the world, but that's definitely going to be a test for Green um, when they can tour overseas. Look, when you look at tests, if we, we're talking about Cameron Green, I think it's interesting, I think, that you talk about Cam Green. When you look at world all-rounders at the moment, I'm talking world-class all-rounders, there are a few. Um, without, in no particular order, Ben Stokes from England is definitely one. Jason Holder from the West Indies, who's more of a bowling all-rounder, but his test batting average is very good. Ravi Chandran Ashwin has a very good test record. Ravindra Jadeja is a far better cricket than I thought when I first saw him. He's an outstanding player. Needs probably to get more runs. Shakib Halasan is also a very, very talented cricketer. Um, Australia really have been... They've always been obsessed with getting an all-rounder. And uh, Green... 
and, and his bowling's actually dropped off a little bit since he's had some injuries. I'd love to see him get back to taking lots and lots of wickets. But he can certainly play. Lloyd Pope, or again, once again, getting pogoed. He went for six and over, but he ended up taking four for 92 there. He just can't keep... Um, he can't keep bowling like this for South Australia and not bowling maidens. He's very, very expensive all the time they get to him. But he's also a wicket taker. Um, South, go look at the South Australian uh, scorecard, Head and Carter centuries. Head looked completely untroubled. I watched a lot of his innings. He just cruised along, and he's got an outstanding first-class record. And again, Western Australia's had a pretty decent attack. Paris Kelly Green, uh, Morris Carter, and Rocco Coley on debut. But they just looked, Head looked very comfortable. And then Western Australia second innings, great to see Hilton Cartwright get runs. Uh, two, two good knocks for him, 66 and 121. Uh, was it 66 in the first innings for Hilton? 69, sorry. Um, but look, and I think Pope took up one week, he took another three. So Pope ended up with seven for the match. Uh, mind you, bowling at about almost six and over, but he still took the wickets. Uh, Lucas, it, it, when you, in the last couple of years, particularly when New South Wales has done well, teams have... They've taken advantage of getting outright wins in the first part of the season to set them up. In what's going to be a difficult season with COVID, both of these sides will be a little disappointed not getting outright points. But that wicket was so flat, it was ridiculous. And you would hope that it, as matches progress, that the wickets... I like to see teams get 300 to 350. And I think that opens itself up for really conducive cricket, Lucas, because you can get results that way. And um, that's just where I'm at with it. Um and your, your thoughts on, on, on the season moving forward? Well, I think it's going to be interesting this early part of the season, David. Obviously, with uh, particularly AFL using a fair few of the first-class cricket grounds, I think having to utilise these grounds that aren't as used as much at men's first-class level particularly, like your Karen Rotten's, like your Allen Borderfields and that sort of thing, the pitches may be fairly flat because they haven't been as used as much and they'll be the first use of them this year. But when I think... There's been issues with other grounds, um, first-class cricket grounds, through, through the few years. Remember the issues I had there at the MCG with the Ashes a few years ago where it was deemed unsatisfactory um, with, with the pitch and things like that. So I think as we get as we go through the season and when, when we get some of those bigger first-class grounds in with um, when there's when there's been given more time and used to prepare them, I think that's only going to enable some fit some fairer contest between bat and ball, which is which is what we're all after, David. Indeed. Lucas, I've just got on to quick info just at the end of our podcast, some updates for you. Um, and I quote, this week's postponed Sheffield Shield clash between Queensland and Tasmania has been moved to Karen Rolton Oval in Adelaide with the ball set to fly out of Queensland on today due to growing concerns about border closures following a COVID-19 outbreak in Brisbane. So that game has been moved to Adelaide. Um, they're going to reschedule the Marsh Cup that the two teams are supposed to play. Queensland's going to then say in South Australia to play the, the Sackers and Tasmania are going to head off to Perth. So they've used their brains. So just again, everybody, Queensland and Tasmania, that game's scheduled to start on the 7th of October later on this week. That game will now be played on neutral territory, Karen, Rolt, Noble and Adelaide. So looks like wise, wiser heads have prevailed there, Lucas, and they're going to get some cricket, but in neutral territory. Yeah, um, still concerns about New South Wales and Victoria too. We touched on that briefly at the end of our podcast last week, but... Um, still a little bit in limbo, as it were, for New South Wales and Victoria, obviously, with the border closures and everything going on. But great to see um, some first-class cricket being played, albeit at a later date. It's going to get our season rolling very quickly. David, we're already, what, at the start of October now. The first Ashes test is, what, December 8th. So 
There's some issues around that too. And speaking of oh, interest, we, we need to. We need um, to speak about that. I'm not convinced the Ashes are going to take place. Yeah, and just very quickly before we get into that, uh, uh, now former England player is uh, retired from, from long-form cricket. David Moeen Ali uh, is pursuing a shorter-form career now, going to limited overs cricket. Uh, he's retired uh, from test cricket. So it's a, it's a big loss for England. So All-round at two, obviously, he had... Nathan Lyon had him in a 12 a few years ago now, but very, particularly at the short form where he's focusing now, David, uh, very damaging with the bat and bowls some handy off-spin too, Moen Alley. So he's a big, it's a big loss because they've had issues uh, finding some spinners. Uh, they took Mason Crane out here a few years ago. Um, they, he played, I think, the last the last test in Sydney. He'd actually been playing some first-class cricket out here too, if I'm not mistaken. He was. He played. Oh, he's uh, a very, 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 very proud baggy blue wearer, my friend. Mason yes. Crane's a New South Welshman. Thank you. He is, yes. So, had some issues there, Crane, but with Ali, they're really going to have to find that next spinner. Obviously, Jack Leach has played a little bit for them in the long run and can hop and He's a little bit handy with about more can hang around, but they're definitely going to have to do some uh, searching to try and find the next spinner for the next few years with knowing Ali. Uh, retiring from long-form cricket. There's been a lot of press about the fact that Jack Leach hardly played any international cricket this season, and I think they're right. I think they missed him. I think that Ali has been chopped and changed and pogoed around so many times by the people that masquerade as selectors in England that I think he's been shafted, and I, th- I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a great player, but I think he, he is a good test cricket. And a lot of other countries in the world would jump at the opportunity of Moen Ali playing test cricket for them. He can easily fit into a West Indian or New Zealand side, South African side. I've got no doubt. So I think it's unfortunate. I understand his decision. I really do, particularly fiscally. But I think that he has been mistreated by selectors. And he's he's been a solid test cricket. I think he could have made more runs um, at times. But you know what? He's got test five is he's got five fest against India. So he can play. Um, but look, that is a very interesting thing. And we will be talking about the Ashes. We'll certainly look at having a look at Ashes um, podcasts as well, Lou, if you've got time for me um, later on. i tell you one thing is interesting. I, as you know, um, for those of you that listen on Redder Sports Podcast, I, I work with Lucas on football and I work with Sam Zickman in NFL and Jimmy on the NRL. And normally my job is to sit there, talk a little bit and then shut up and pass, hand over to the experts, particularly in Lucas's case. You know what I enjoy talking about cricket with you, Lucas? I, I actually know a tiny little bit about cricket, so it's actually nice. It's nice for a change. Instead of me being the host, I can sit there and talk with at you at your level, which I can't do at football and with Sammy and, and with Jimmy. I, my job is more to be the host and it just lets you go. But in this case, I can sit there and talk to you about cricket and actually have a bit of a knowledge base, which is actually quite nice for me. And I know how much you love your cricket as well. Yep. Mate. Yeah. No, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting little bit, David. And just before we wrap up, we're obviously just through two days of the, of the lone women's test yes. at Metricon Stadium on the Gold Coast. It's been the Shmini Mandana show, David. It was interesting. Both sort of coaches and leadership groups came out in the days before the test saying that it looks like it's going to be an extended one-day game, David, and it looked like that from the outset. Uh, only 44 overs bowl on day one, but Mandana sort of unleashed yesterday. She ended up with 127 off only 216 balls in a test match, David, so stri- striking a little under 60, though, and it, it stumps at the end of day two. India are 5 to 276, so they look like they're in the box seat um, halfway through this test match, David. Women's tests are still only at the four-day length, so it looks like uh, it's heading for a draw with Australia yet to uh, 
have a look at batting. Lucas, I watched quite a bit of the terrific one-day series between the two countries in in Mackay and watched in, the end of India's magnificent victory over us, which was I don't like seeing, but it was great cricket. For me, the Australians are vulnerable because I don't think... I reckon they're a strike bowler short. Elise Perry's clearly still struggling with that terrible hamstring injury she had. Um, I thought that Molyneux would be the most dangerous bowler and she's gone 14 overs, 2 for 28, which is very solid from your left arm finger spinner. But I think that Australia are a, a, a one strike bowler short and there are some terrific bats in that top order. Shmuri Mandana and Mathali Raj is superb to watch. She's pure, Lucas. Um, she's a great bat. Um, and i tell you that the other thing is you and I have been exposed to a lot of really, really good women's football in the last few years. I... I'm not going to be rude. I'm not trying to be rude here. I'm really enjoying watching women's cricket for the first time in my life. Um, I think it's great to watch, and women's cricket's exploding in our country. And to those internationals in Mackay were fabulous entertainment. That was terrific cricket. Australia bowled poorly in the third at the death in that third game, but India took advantage. But overall, it's been great to watch, hasn't it? They have um, Megan Shoots, obviously, that um, out. Uh, her partner's just had a child, so yes. uh, shoot not shoot not playing. So there's that strike bowler short you're uh, referring to. She'd slot straight in there. Um, Australia blooded four players on debut as well. Darcy Brown, Stella Campbell, a two there. So they're, they're very good players, very young players too, which is great to see um, making their international debuts on the test level, which is... Uh, which they're not as played as often as they should be, but that's a conversation for another time. But it looks like India are in the box seat here at the moment. Oh, they are. Lucas, yep. there, there is, there's no question in my mind that there's not enough women's test cricket play. And I think one of the advents of cricket being um, exposed to more and more female athletes is that there will be a much stronger sense of te- playing tests. I don't think that one test is enough. I think Australia should be playing India, given how good this Indian size. I think they should be playing a three-test series. It's as simple as that. On prime time, on free-to-air television, because they're the best female cricketers in Australia, and cricket's now a major player in female sport. So I know I think you would agree with that, is that we need to see more first-class cricket and more test cricket. Well, we do. It's interesting how they how they play these series too. It's happened with the Ashes series the yep. last few times it's been played. But what actually happens, being, as you said, a one-test series, they actually take points. They allocate points from all the games being played. So I think for the test match, if, if, if one side were to win, they gain four points. If it's, if it's drawn, they get two. But you actually add up all the points from the three one days. This test match, I think there's three T20s being played uh, post this test match. So the, uh, the nation with the most points, obviously, I would will win the series, as it were. But as you said, if we get some more test cricket being played, it's obviously a good initiative um, with the series, with the points as it is at the moment. But with more tests being played, you'd hope they'd be able to separate that uh, further down the line. Absolutely. Uh, and let's just hope it happens uh, and happens soon. Lucas, thank you so much for your time. Anything else from you on football or cricket before we bid everyone adieu? I think that's all for me, David. Always great joining you. Uh, we're in October now, it's not too far away. It's beautiful weather outside at the moment. So uh, 
hopefully cricket at particularly the community level for you and I is not too far away either. Yeah, look, look you know, everybody's hoping that the, the, the date in the calendar for Newcastle NDCA grade is the 6th of November, Lucas. Um, and other competitions in and around that time. We just have to wait and see what the Department of Health, the Cricket uh, cricket New South Wales has been very carefully working with Department of Health and the Office of Sport, and uh, that will get things moving. I, I haven't been to Newcastle in months, and as you know, it's very sh- close to, m- to my heart to get up with all of my colleagues up there, particularly at Stockton, and uh, I'm just looking forward to getting up there and having hopefully a, an uninterrupted cricket season just with a couple of weeks delay. Are you planning on having a run again? Yeah, running around, David. It's going to be a good year, I think. Um, running around with the uh, friends from Dad's soccer, actually, is how I got involved there. So it's going to be another good year playing suburban districts again this season. So uh, looking forward to it. Very good. Thank you, Lucas, so much for your time. Thank you for a wonderful year with football. I look forward to talking cricket with you again very shortly, my friend. Thank you, Louis. Indeed, David. Speak to you soon. On behalf of Lucas James Holmes, my name is David Redden. It's been our privilege to bring you our RFL podcast this year. Lucas has done a superb job, as always. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you all very soon. Have a good week. Be safe. On behalf of Lucas, this is David. Bye for now.